1: Good morning, America. This is the Catch Roundtable. John Ketchum TV is here Sunday morning. Wow, we have the best stories for you today. What's really going on in the world? And I am worried. We have Ambassador John Bolton. We have Mario Tonomo on what's going on in Europe. Dr. Peter Michalos, how do we live longer? Senator Bud on uh, what he feels we should be done to, in Washington. And we got a mess in our hands. Senator Lieberman, one of the smartest guys I know. And we got the mooch, Scaramucci, on what's going on with cryptocurrency. And let's go to Mike Pompeo, the former CIA director, former Secretary of State, and go around the world. Well, John, uh,
0: thanks for having me on again. It's great to be back with you.
1: China is urging Saudi Arabia to be uh, diplomatic uh, relations with Iran. How do you feel about that one?
0: Well, here's here's the thing: if the United States won't stand with its friends, if it won't be prepared to do the things that need to be done to honor the commitments we've made, uh, and the Chinese Communist Party is threatening them, they're going to find they're going to hedge their bets. Every, every country will choose that, not just not just Saudi Arabia as you mentioned, but every, every country will. We'll, we'll find a way. That we've seen this with the Europeans. We've seen this in Africa. We've certainly seen it in Southeast Asia. That means America just has to be a good friend to do the things we promised we would do. That's good for America. That's good right here at home. Right when we had the balloon fly over our country for five days. That that is shameful. But it it sends a message to the to the world that says the United States isn't even isn't even prepared to stop the Chinese from spying from a balloon going at about four miles an hour over its own airspace. Uh, This this is the wrong signal. It leads to fewer friends in the United States for us and more friends for China around the world. And that's not good for any family here at home in America.
2: Do you see that turning around, Mr. Secretary?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's going to take new leadership, Rita. (laughs) It's going to require the Biden administration to actually do what they said they would do. Their, Their words with respect to China are pretty good. Now they need to start to actually execute against that plan, building out uh, a network of friendships around the world, putting putting the American people first, just like we did for four years. When you begin to get that right, you can push back against the Chinese Communist Party. And if you get that wrong, they will extend, to your point, John, they will extend their grip, their power, their influence over a lot of countries that will cause real trouble for us down the road.
1: Uh, agreed. And uh, uh, what's happening right now is... I- I hate to say it. I think a lot of these countries have a lack of confidence in the uh, President Biden government. And uh, India is hedging their bets. Uh, Pakistan is heading, hedging their bets. Uh, Iran, uh, Iraq. Uh, I, I don't know where to begin and start. I mean, uh, uh, no, John, you've just, got it right. Yeah. yeah. So no, you've got it exactly
0: right. These countries, are they, they, they want to be America's spread. They want to trade with America. They want their kids to come study in America. They want to travel and visit America. They want to do business with America. But if America is not going to live up to its commitments to its own people, if we're going to teach our kids that America is a racist nation, uh, wh- why would they not find another way, an alternative, a risk reduction model, right? You talked about hedging. That's the behavior you're seeing around the world. We, we need the Biden administration to, to defend America, to be strong, to be proud, not to apologize for America ever. And when we do those things, we will have better partners, more friends around the world. And Americans will be safer and more prosperous as a direct result
1: of that.
2: I agree 100 percent. You know, I mean, it's interesting, too. You hit on a good point there. Um, as always, uh, Mr. Secretary, we love having you on the former secretary, Mike Pompeo. Um, you know, it's an interesting is you you touch on sort of we're focused on pronouns and focused on climate change, and not really focused on energy security and economic security. I, I mean, are we just missing the mark? And do you again sort of see this changing even before potentially new leadership, or are we just sort of down the road and and we're sort of set on it?
0: Well, I think the, I think I think it's going to probably require new leaders. Although I will say. The committee in the House of Representatives led by Chairman Gallagher is doing really good work, and some of it is bipartisan, so I'm happy about that. But your your point's exactly right. When, when your lead negotiator is John Kerry, right? When you send John Kerry around the world to lead on climate change, the rest of the world says, hmm, you know, I'm not so sure. And when you are conducting uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines, and you're missing your recruiting targets by 25%. That does not instill confidence either in our own military or our adversaries' view of our military power. We we got to get that back right. I hope that we will. The president's budget on defense was okay. I hope they'll go execute against that in a way that actually protects America. We 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 understood that American power was important to the American people and we did it in a way that we didn't start a single war reader not one four years. We got a lot of our young men and women back. But the world knew that the United States, under our leadership, was tough enough to be a good friend.
2: Well, speaking of being tough enough, um, big news, of course, today it was a unanimous vote um, in the House of Representatives going over to President Biden to release the details of the origins of COVID. Again, it kind of goes back, of course, to China. Do Do you think we'll get to the bottom of this? Do you think the president will sign it? And do you think we'll finally get some answers?
0: Oh, goodness. I'm only chuckling because it was almost exactly three years ago where I went on ABC Sunday Sunday show and said, hey, this, the virus came from the lab. I, I summarize. Uh, and I was ridiculed, called a racist. Now it's pretty clear this is what it was. Rita, I don't know that we'll ever see any more evidence, but we don't need to. <laughs> this virus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It was accidentally released from there. Uh, I, I know that to be true. Uh, I hope they'll release all the data that they have, all the evidence. I think everybody will see that 100% of the evidence points to exactly that. When I hear Dr. Fauci come out and say, well, you know, we saw some evidence about the wet market and it was never clear, that's just not true. Uh, It's it's fundamentally false. Dr. Fauci knows better. He he knows that that NIH was funding gain-of-function research around the world, including likely in this lab, and he was covering up. We, We know where this virus began. We know that Xi Jinping made the decision to ship it around the world by having contagious people get on airplanes and travel. Uh, This caused enormous loss of life all around the world, including a a million folks here in the United States. Huge impact on the global economy. And Xi Jinping needs to be accountable for this. And I, I hope the Biden administration will release this information because when they do, the world will demand accountability. And that is much deserved.
1: Mr. Secretary, thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And we'll catch up with you again real soon.
2: Great having you here. Thank and you, John. you've got a thank new you, book. Rita.
1: Tell us about the new book, yeah, Rita. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Never,
2: ne- and By never the way, give Never an Give an Inch. And by the way, that is the epitome <laughs> of your life. And what a great title, Mr. Secretary.
1: <laughs>
0: well, bless you, Rita. Thank you. And, John, thank you for giving me a chance to be on the show again today. Thank have, you. Have a good one.
2: With us
1: today is Anthony Scaramucci. Well. He is the leader, and I consider him the, the leader in uh, what was going on with Bitcoins, and uh, he thinks it's a great investment. So we're going to ask him for a status. Where the heck are we in Bitcoins? Uh, Anthony Scaramucci, where the heck are we? Uh, the markets are going up. The markets are going down. Interest rates are up one day, down the other day. And, and and bitcoins were down to 16,000, now they're back up to 23, 24,000. Give us your evaluation, of what's going on?
3: Well, first of all, always great to be on. Let me, let, let's just start with the macro environment. I think somebody's gonna write economic history 50 years from now that the Fed over allocated capital during COVID, during the pandemic, and now they are aggressively taking it out of the system. Uh, this is the largest, most dramatic interest rate hike in about forty five years. I think it's a very, very bad strategy because uh the secular forces are for disinflation and you t- you know this in your business, you know this in the you know the early stages of grocery with the barcodes and all that efficiency. Now we have the r f i d technology. We have all this massive software that helps us shift goods and services more efficiently. The the price biases are trending down as a result of all this disinflation. Uh, the inflation was actually inducted by the Fed putting too much money into the system. Now they're taking the money out, in my opinion, too quickly, and they're going to break something. They'll break the economy. They'll push millions of people out of work. Uh, they've already crushed the stock and bond market. And so, yes, I think short term, this is uh, very bad. And it's misguided. Long term, obviously, I believe in the resiliency of the United States, the people of the country and the great economic innovation and the entrepreneurs here. So we'll be fine. Uh, But to Bitcoin, John, it's related to all of that macro stuff going on. So, again, too much money in the system. Bitcoin probably went up too much. It was trading at 16,000 in November of 2020. It reached 68,000. They blasted the economy, took the money out of the system. Bitcoin's now back down in that sort of 21 to 23,000 zone. Uh, But I like it long term because it is a digital asset. It is a virtual asset. And it may not be comfortable to people like Warren Buffett or to certain age groups, but it's very comfortable to our children. Uh, They understand the technical properties of that asset and they understand that that can be, over time as it gets adopted, a way that we exchange value between each other. So so I like it. Um, it has immutability a, a to it, meaning there's a fixed supply. Um, not to bore your, your listeners, but uh, Bitcoin's on a halving cycle, meaning the program was set so that we're getting 900 Bitcoins out of the system a day right now, but come November of 2020. I'm sorry, February of 2024, you're going to do 450. And then four years later, you'll do 225. So the supply is shrinking and it's a fixed supply. And the demand for Bitcoin is growing. So I do like it. And I think Bitcoin is a great long-term asset because it's volatile. People are scared of it or you get a lot of negative naysayers in the press. But I think long-term, it's going to be fine. But you got to get the Fed out of the way uh, for that asset and many other assets.
1: The two things uh when you're talking about the amount of bitcoins created uh, and they're using energy level from outside sources, so when those bitcoins are created, that money doesn't go to the existing uh bitcoin owners so how do they benefit
3: yeah so that's a good that's a good yes yeah, so you have a uh, you you have energy you know seventy percent of it now is renewable energy, but yes. The Bitcoin miners are drawing electricity off of the grid and they're doing the mathematical calculations to keep the network tight, the integrity of the network. And uh, in exchange for that, they get coins. These cryptographs come to them. uh, And you're right, it doesn't necessarily benefit the holders of Bitcoin unless they're part of the nodes and part of the mining. But where it does benefit is as that supply is shrinking. If you hold Bitcoin and the demand continues. And remember when I bought my first Bitcoin, John, there were eighty million wallets for Bitcoin. Uh, and that was two and a half years ago. There's now over three hundred million wallets for Bitcoin. Yeah. And, yeah. And if my friend Kathy if my friend Kathy Wood is right, it gets to a billion, uh, you only have twenty one million coins. And so you are correct. Uh the holders don't benefit unless they, you know, attach themselves to the nodes and they start to mine Bitcoin themselves. But the shrinkage of supply does benefit them and that's happening over the next four, eight and 12 years.
1: The other negative thing that uh, goes out from uh, uh, people are that the people investing in Bitcoins and I mean investors are investors because they want to hide their money, are terrorists and drug dealers, uh, crooked prime ministers, crooked presidents of countries. Uh, But it doesn't matter to the Bitcoin holders because anybody can get $100 bills or Bitcoins.
3: Our former assistant, the the CIA director, and I'm drawing a blank on his last name. uh, Michael was his first name. He wrote a 20-page white paper on this. And basically in the white paper, he explained that because the wallets are easy to track, meaning my wallet is up on the net. If I move coins from my wallet, you can actually see the coins leave my wallet and get directed into somebody else's wallet. And so what we found in some of these uh, blackmail cases where people were asking for Bitcoin, uh, the FBI, the CIA was actually able to figure out the wallet to wallet transfers and stop them. Uh, One of those things happened with the natural gas pipeline. If you remember, they hacked the pipeline They slowed down the, uh, the movement of gas through the pipeline and they wanted a $5 million ransomware from Bitcoin. Uh, well, uh, the FBI figured out who it was, uh, and stopped the exchange. So it gets a lot of negative press. There's no question about it. Um, is there fraud with Bitcoin? Yes, there is. There's also fraud, unfortunately, with the U S dollar, the Euro, the yen and other currencies. Um, and I and I get the point. People say, well, it's easier to hide Bitcoin. Uh, it, it is in the sense that you could take it off chain the same way you or I could take stacks of hundred dollar bills and put it in the safe deposit box. But the minute you take it off chain, if you go to put it back on chain, guess what? Everybody can see it and the FBI can see it. And you may have remembered reading in the New York Post, uh, somebody hacked a, a Bitcoin account. They got seventy five million dollars out. Uh, they they laid dormant for seven years. The minute they went to use their Bitcoin, they got in, summarily arrested. So it's a lot more transparent uh, than people want to give it credit for. Uh, but the industry is early. And, and, and if I'm being very objective about the industry, we need way more regulation in the industry. Uh, but unfortunately, the Congress doesn't want to act on it. Gary Gensler, the security exchange chairman, doesn't like Bitcoin. And so he's bringing enforcement actions without providing guidance. And I would just say to people, uh, it's here to stay. I was in Abu Dhabi last week. Uh, we, we did our conference over there. I met with the regulatory officials there. Uh, if the United States rejects Bitcoin and digital assets, I think we do so at our own peril. I want the United States to maintain its financial services leadership, the mantle of its financial services leadership. Uh, and if it decides not to do that, this industry will grow in other parts of the world, uh, and I think that will be a long term detriment to the United States.
1: Anthony Scaramochi, thank you so much for uh, filling in all our listeners, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real oh, soon.
3: Oh, always great to be on, sir. And don't
1: thank forget you. to read my book. Oh, by the way,
3: your book is awesome. I love it.
1: <laughs> thank you very much.
0: You're listening to the Cats Roundtable.
1: We have real great stories this morning. Get your hot cup of coffee ready because you're going to need it. With us today is Ambassador John Bolton. Uh, and uh, he was a uh, national security advisor to uh, President Trump and uh, ambassador to the United Nations. And one smart guy, uh, Ambassador, uh, we got a mess in our hands. Uh, there's news coming out the last, uh, uh, on Thursday and Friday and uh uh, that uh, the facts uh, that uh, China has engaged Iran to, to uh, ex- exchange diplomatic relations with, with Saudi Arabia. And on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, Saudi Arabia was advancing $5 billion to Turkey's central bank to, to shore them up. Uh, I see the handwriting on the wall where there's good against evil, there's a, there, there's a new formation of power in the world uh, being led by China. Uh, I'd love to have your opinion. What the heck is going on? The
4: Chinese, the Russians, Iran, North Korea, and several others... Uh, are moving to shore up their relations and threaten us in a lot of different places, and dealing for example with saudi arabia what what this reflects is uh their fear that the u s administration still hasn't given up on a nuclear deal, getting back into the nuclear deal with iran uh It's an indication that the that the Saudis and others are trying to hedge their bets with China and Russia because they don't think the United States has the resolve and the fortitude. Uh, necessary to do what they need to do to to protect uh, the world against Iran and and uh, and its intentions both on the terrorist front and the nuclear front. And what the Chinese are doing is is just basic blocking and tackling. They want access to as many oil reserves as they can get. They're uh, ch- they're Iran's biggest customer now, but they they just uh, they'd like to have access to Saudi Arabia. They're increasing purchases of Russian oil and gas, frustrating the U.S. and Western European sanctions. Uh, the Chinese have a strategy they've been following. We, we, we kind of wander around from day to day, and uh, I think it's becoming increasingly evident. And I hope the 2024 presidential election provides a forum to debate this. We, we've got to get our act together in the United States, or, or this is only going to get worse.
1: You know, uh, China tried to give advice to uh, 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 the world uh, about Ukraine and, and Russia, I mean it seems like now Russia is a subsidiary of uh, uh of China is that going anywhere
4: Well I think the, the the one of the biggest winners of the war in Ukraine has been China you know if Russia were to win and and at at the at the maximum retake all of ukraine that would be a victory for for china's ally that would strengthen china as well but frankly if russia continues to get chewed up in ukraine that just makes russia more dependent on china so china wins there as well they're 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 in the catbird seat here but it's it's exactly right to say that uh, we're watching russia slip increasingly under chinese control you know back in the cold war uh, the the sino-soviet alliance It was the Soviet Union that was very much the senior partner. It's 180 degrees opposite now. This is is China's alliance. It's putting together, and and Russia's the junior partner. And that's not good for any of us. I'd like to find ways to pry Russia away from China. I think that's impossible to do while this war is going on. And, And it's really only after Ukraine regains its territory and maybe we see some changes in Russia that we're going to get that chance.
1: What would you like to tell the American people? I mean, it's Sunday morning, they're, they're sitting down having their, their, their coffee, and uh, they don't know if they should be, be, should be zigging or zagging.
4: American citizens always rise to the challenge. For, for people around the world have told us for decades, America's over the hill. They, don't, they, can't, uh, they can't mind their own store. They don't know what they're doing. I, I would never bet against the United States. But I think as we enter this election season, and you know we're already in the 2024 campaign, Americans have got to say to the prospective presidential candidates, what's your national security policy? What are you going to do to keep the country strong and safe from all of these external threats? We, you know, we haven't talked about the threat of international terrorism, but it's still there. Thousands of foreign terrorists have gone back into Afghanistan. We can see Iran uh, trying to commit terrorist acts in the United States itself. Uh, we've got a lot of things to worry about there, and we need leaders who are up to the task of doing that. And I don't think our current president is up to the task. So others who who may want to get to that job need to need to come up with a strategy. What are they going to do? We can talk about the war in Ukraine. What are our objectives what 's the strategy? What weapons does Ukraine need? How are we going to end this successfully and rapidly so that the innocent civilians in ukraine don 't bear uh, more of the of the agony they 've had to go through here but we don't we don 't have enough discussions like that and I, I just hope everybody thinks and prays for the country that we get leadership that can do that
1: Ambassador John Bolton, thank you for everything you 've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country and Uh, We'll catch up with you again real soon. Well, thanks for having
4: me. Glad to do it.
1: Dr. Peter Mihalos, tell us, what do you have interest in today?
5: Well, today, John, we're going to talk about a topic that's becoming an issue worldwide. And uh, in China, they are so alarmed by it that they are calling social media addiction a medical diagnosis. And it's called online addiction disorder. And they've actually set up boot camps for teenagers and currently Believe it or not, in China, there are 23 million kids who have attended these boot camps. They were basically forced. They, their parents bring them, drop them off, and they have to stay there for a while until they can help to get them off of this uh, social media addiction. There was even a video circulated the other day showing how a, a Chinese uh, boy, uh, when his father took away the phone, he took out a, uh, an axe and basically was threatening his father to give him back his phone. And he took a swing at him, but the father caught it in time. And uh, this is how crazy it is, because what happens, why do we call it like a heroin? Because it becomes addicting, because when you, for example, go on some of these sites and you are seeking and thirsting for more likes and more positive and more followers, and it becomes an addiction. And we've been seeing an increase in suicide, mostly related to the bullying. There's another condition called dysmorphic disorder, where basically that they're looking at other people's bodies and how they look, and then they compare themselves, and that brings on things like these eating disorders, like bulimia and anorexia. And uh, now in the United States, we're seeing these class action lawsuits that are now starting up against these social media uh, companies because they found through some internal documents and email that they, uh, you know, they know that some of these things are very, very addicting, and they might be great for advertising, but. It is affecting our children and it's planting a seed that will not be good for the long term, for the mental health of the country. And the other thing is uh, some of these video games that are very violent. And what happens is you keep, you know, the goal is to shoot up more and more people and you start to lose compassion because you just pull the trigger. You become jaded, you become disinhibited. And I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but most of these kids who were involved in the school shooting, almost all of them were were online gamers with some of these more violent military games, and in my opinion, that's something that needs to be looked at, and parents need to supervise what their kids are washing and their screen time, and I personally think every every house should have a Wi-Fi switch, that when everyone goes to bed at 10 o'clock at night, the parents in the master bedroom have a switch, and they can just shut centrally the Wi-Fi so kids can get some sleep. Instead of having their phone under their pillow all night, messaging, communicating with friends and and getting involved in all these conversations and sometimes inappropriate conversations, inappropriate pictures that get these kids in trouble. And it affects them academically and their ability to get into college. And we know of many cases like that. So I think that's, you know, part of the solution and more has to be done in schools to talk about this, just like they talk about, you know, drug addiction. We need to also talk about what I call electronic heroin addiction to uh, help to have better mental health. Because in the well,
1: end, well, Doctor Peter, when my kids were growing up, uh, they would be on those Game Boys or whatever they called them in those days for for hours and hours and hours at a time. And instead of um, and me and you were growing up in Harlem, you grew up in uh, East Harlem, I grew up in West Harlem. We were out there playing stickball and uh, baseball and softball and. And we were running around the
5: streets. Yeah, we got our exercise and we also had social interactions. We learned how to, you know, shake somebody's hand, give somebody a hug. You know, you know, we knew how to, you know, write a note, write a message with using a pen. You know, it was very, very different. But now we have these kids they are not even looking at each other. And that's something you'll notice with teenagers today. When they talk to you, oftentimes they don't even look at you. They're looking down at their phone. They can't they don't even know how to do basic eye contact. And we evolved as creatures from you know, millions of years to interact with each other, to be tribal, to be in groups and working together for the community. But instead, now we're isolated. And uh, this new generation, we, ne- we really have to address it as a, uh, as a country, and uh, some countries are addressing it. And we need to pay more attention to it because we want to keep our uh, audience, especially our young people, Healthier because we're seeing things like lower sperm counts in the United States. We're seeing decreased populations in countries like uh, Japan. They estimate they're not even replacing the population in the last two years of the people who died. So they have a big problem because they also have an extremely tight immigration policy. So all these things are are. Uh, things that need to be uh, addressed
1: understood is there anything else that you're concerned about with, with our young kids i mean we talked about on the radio that young kids below the age of 25 or 24 uh doing marijuana uh the neurologists say they're going to lose 15 percent of their iq
5: yeah well the big concern for me is those duke university studies which showed that exposure to uh marijuana results in epigenetic changes in their dna which means that their actual dna changes and that is affecting their offspring and once that damage occurs to their chromosomes it's not only to the child that they bear but it's also generational and it may get passed on generationally generationally and they're finding that there are papers just put in cannabis duke university study and autism there's a relationship of men and men's sperm that the men who smoked a lot of pot seem to have a higher incidence or a higher risk based on this Duke University study of having children with autism. Well, it's also a national security issue because we're not going to have a prepared army when we have a bunch of people who are drugged up and not going to be able to you know, fight a war if we're ever attacked or we ever have to defend ourselves as a nation.
1: Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you for speaking out for our country and speaking out for all America. God bless you, and we'll catch up again
5: real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable.
0: Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis.
1: And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what our heart believes in. With us today is Senator Ted Budd, and uh, he's a U.S. Senator from uh, North Carolina on many committees, and he is very concerned on what's going on in our country. Senator Budd, uh, tell us, uh, what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning? You know, the more I see what Joe
6: Biden's doing to our country, uh, what's coming across our border, and look, this is not just about the awful drug trafficking. This is not about just the human trafficking. Uh, These are people on the terrorist watch list that are coming across and then when I see the things that Biden is doing to shut down our economy rather than to grow our economy when it comes to energy, uh, when it comes to overregulation, when I see the appointees he's putting in place, there's a lot to keep me up at night. And uh, I tell you, what, it's an honor to serve the people of North Carolina, but hopefully the people here in New York will get some of the benefit as well.
1: Uh, I understand uh, in the last week or so, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the nominee that uh, President Biden put up for the FCC all of a sudden withdrew. Uh, from uh, uh, being considered. What happened there?
6: Yes, she did. So this is Gigi Sohn, S-O-H-N, and we, uh, we I interviewed her. And you see somebody that has some ethical challenges. Uh, they have somebody that didn't recuse themselves from uh, uh, from certain investments and certain involvements. You see somebody that has a, uh, a very left of center, very, I mean, this is not somebody that, uh, uh, like our friend here, Richard, that's a common sense Democrat. This is somebody that's a very far to the radical left and, really wants to get in there and if she's in there she'll it's it's two to two right now but if she's in there it would break the quorum and really let the biden administration put in a lot of very left-wing policies
1: when it comes to communication which is what we're doing right now on air I understand and I also understand that uh, uh, the FAA nominee uh, got shot down or what happened there
6: yeah well let's let's differentiate between the acting FAA administrator bill uh, uh, Nolan who's doing a great job uh, Billy Nolan uh, he's flown, you know, three air for three airlines. He's an experienced pilot. He's a good administrator. Somebody like that uh, would be somebody that would probably, with flying colors, get nominated. But somebody that like Phil Washington comes up, and this is somebody who served our na- nation honorably, 24 years in the military, but he knows nothing about aviation. Uh, I asked him seven questions. You can find it online, and, and it just seems he doesn't know anything. He answered. He was zero for seven. Uh, and this is somebody that just wants to get in there and push diversity and equity and inclusion. He knows about buses in Los Angeles. He knows about buses in Denver. I think he had a, a gig running the Denver International Airport, but didn't wasn't directly involved in the aviation side. It, number one issue is safety, and this certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't be doing that if he was in
1: place at FAA. Understood. I understand China. Uh, China is uh, uh, talked Saudi Arabia into having diplomatic relations with Iran. Are we going, I mean, which way are we going?
6: You can't make this stuff up. And I want to walk this backwards to August of 2021. So a year and a half ago, when Biden does the precipitous withdrawal, chaotic, sad withdrawal from Afghanistan, what that telegraphed to China, Iraq, uh, excuse me, Iran, uh, uh, the whole Middle East, they're wondering if we're a reliable partner and it showed American weakness. And it gave Putin permission to jump in, uh, tacit permission to invade Ukraine. Uh, now our partners that have been for 75 years, our allies in the Middle East, are wondering, look, are you there for us? And are they going to be there you know, for us as well? So it's very, very confusing. Uh, and American weakness is really the problem here. And that's exactly the policy
1: of Joe Biden. The uh, uh, Saudis were convinced, um, probably by the Chinese, to, to invest five billion dollars in uh, the Central Bank of Turkey. Uh, and what I'm saying now is, China forming a, an alliance, a different alliance uh, of, of you know whether it's India, Pakistan, Russia, uh, Saudi, etc., etc., against. The, the West.
6: Well, when you look at their 2030 plan, their Belt and Road Initiative, they want to be they want to have anchors all around the world. If that's just to the south of us, whether it's in Mexico or Central or South America, whether it's in Africa on West and East Coast of Africa or or in India, they are looking to make us not the only game in town and they hope to replace us. And by golly, if we don't lead with peace through strength and, and um, economic strength, then uh, then they will be successful and it will be um, a very different world if they get their way and so we have to realize that we need allies around the world and we do that through military and economic strength.
1: We've got a minute or so left, uh, uh, what do you think uh, uh, the American people are most worried about? Look, it wasn't too many years ago, maybe two, three years ago that we were
6: net exporters of oil here in the U.S., uh, including liquid petroleum, so we know how to produce. And we're fine uh, with cheaper oil than we see right now uh, and we do West Texas is great uh, Alaska is great we've got a huge project right now that we hope the Biden administration doesn't clamp down on all that stuff affects I- inflation which is the number one issue that I talked about in all 100 counties in North Carolina the second is crime uh, we have to protect the rule of law whether that's here in the city or whether that's back in North Carolina and the other is education people just want their kids to be taught they're concerned uh, that there's a weaponization of education, that people aren't being, that their kids aren't being taught what they need to, uh, to be great Americans. It's very concerned. Inflation, crime, education are the main three things we heard.
1: Uh, Senator, I agree with you 100%. Thank you for everything you do for our country, and, and uh, God bless you. And we hope that we can talk to you again in the near future. God bless, John. Thanks. With us today is former Senator Joe Lieberman. A senator for a long time, a common sense person for always, a vice presidential uh, uh, candidate, and uh, so many things, uh, and a member and a founding member, a member uh, with uh, uh, that group. Uh, no labels, uh, and uh, and uh, senator. There's so many things happening in this world. Where would you like to begin?
7: This has been an amazing. Week in uh, Middle Eastern politics there's a lot of uh, moving parts it's like a lot of people at a table maybe a card table and everybody obviously uh, playing their own hand but it's not a game it's quite uh, quite serious and everybody with their own uh, ambitions and intentions and and definitions of what it means to be to win I mean just within the last couple of days we've had stories that, that are accurate that Israel Saudi Arabia and the United States are talking about what would be required for the Saudis to uh, have full diplomatic relations with Israel and that would build on the Abraham accords that Israel has with four other Muslim Arab countries and uh, it would be it would be the big one it would be the game changer because Uh, Saudi Arabia is a center of such wealth, mostly from oil, but modernizing their economy. Also, uh, the King of Saudi Arabia is the custodian of the two holy mosques of um, Islam. I mean, mean, to make the comparison, you know, it's like the Vatican or 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 Constantinople, right? Yes,
1: Constantinople.
7: (laughs) Yeah. Notice I used that term for the city. So. uh, it, uh big developments and then all of a sudden I, I really uh, i i didn't see it coming uh, although i knew that the iraqis interestingly were hosting negotiations between um, iran and saudi arabia about somehow getting back together and then china steps into it um, china which had previously said it was only interested in the middle east uh, for economic uh, uh, relations clearly now steps forward as a political player. All this tells us that the US has to stay actively involved in the Middle East and any thought we've had that we could somehow pull away into the Asia Pacific because of China, uh, it just doesn't go because China's gone everywhere else in the world, including uh, the Middle East. The second thing is that the great potential here, if we can realize it, is a full diplomatic relations between israel and saudi arabia that's a that's a peacemaking game changer we the u.s better be there to protect our interests uh both uh, diplomatic our allies and economically as well
1: the truth is i haven't been as worried as i have uh, lately because there's so many moving parts
7: You're uh, right. in my opinion i spent a lot of time there both in the arab world and israel major Arab countries, they are uh, much prefer to have a strong alliance with the USA than with China. They, they really don't trust China. They're, China's a different kind of country than, than we are, and they have a lot of history with us.
1: They don't trust what, uh, what what Washington has been lately, too.
7: They don't, and that's the problem. We've got to reassure them. Uh, and uh, I think the, 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 the negotiations over A peace agreement between Saudi Arabia and Israel are a real opportunity for us to prove to the Saudis that we'll stick with them. I mean, one of the things they're asking for is a sort of security guarantee from us. And and another is uh, to uh, not make it so difficult for them to buy uh, weapon systems from us. And uh, a third is to help them with a civilian nuclear program. Well, that's their ask. We, we can give them a lot of that and, and not jeopardize, certainly not ourselves, not our economy, because they want to do business with us and, not, and I think also improve the security of the Middle East. So we've got to do that, um, consulting with our number one ally there, which is Israel, still is Israel, the one country uh, America can count on to be with us in a moment of conflict and crisis.
1: Uh, Senator, we got a uh, a minute or so left. Okay. Uh, tell us about No Labels. Uh, uh, you're a member, or founding member of that organization. Yes. They're supposed to put the common sense Democrats, common sense Republicans together. How's it going?
7: Well, it's going well. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. As I guess that from looking at the the kind of back and forth backbiting between the parties, but. Uh, look at the last uh, couple of years under President Biden. Previous under President Trump, some of the major uh, bipartisan accomplishments, and there haven't been too many. The infrastructure bill, the Chips Act, uh, uh, some of the COVID response stuff—all all started out in our um, in our uh, no labels uh, caucuses in the House and Senate. The problem solvers in the House, the Common Sense Coalition in the Senate. So we're, we're backing these. People who I think are doing what the majority of the American people want. We're actually exploring no labels is the possibility of qualifying a third uh, presidential ticket uh, in all 50 states on the ballot in 2024 if we feel.
1: Senator, why don't we have a longer discussion on it, (laughs) just on no labels, and uh, I'm sure it'll be an interesting discussion.
7: Well, we'll leave it at that teaser. Johnny, I wish you. A great weekend, and all the best to your family, and and, uh, always good to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. God bless America. Thank you. We now have Larry Kudlow, our country's leading economist, and the world almost is coming to an end. Uh, What happened in California today, uh, Larry?
8: Well, the FDIC has uh, taken over the Silicon Valley Bank. They've seized their assets. They booted out the executives. They did it in connection with the California banking department. And um, it's this, this story has sent a big shiver down the spine of the stock market for the last couple of days. Uh, yesterday, down almost 600 on the Dow. Today, down, I, don't, I think it closed close to 400, something like that. It was a bad week. Dow's off 1,500 points this week. The S&P 500 was off 5%. Add to all that, you're going to have uh, more tightening interest rate hikes. Uh, from the Federal Reserve. So it's an unhappy situation. And then add to that, uh, Joe Biden and his uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Powell Powell, uh, socialist budget with a $5 trillion tax hike. you got to love that on individuals, corporations, small businesses, capital gains, wealth. If it moves, tax it and kill it. So high taxes, high interest rates, uh, liquidity problem with the bank in California, Silicon Valley. Oh, my gosh. Not the best week I can think of.
1: 93% of the deposits in that bank that uh, they closed down was uninsured.
8: Well, that's correct. Uh, over 90%. It's a, The inverted curve really hurt them because uh, they were buying cheap money and then uh, lending it out for a higher rate. But all of a sudden, they owned too many bonds. Uh, look i can't i don't know the details i mean if a bank has a money market account john i don't think that's necessarily insured uh unless you're under two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever the right number is. There was an emergency uh all emergency guarantee of all money market accounts, including all bank deposit related money market accounts inside the bank i don't think that's been in place. For quite some time so you can't lean on that look i don't know what the fdic policy is going to be with respect to the depositors of the silicon valley bank i don't know uh but i think uh the uninsured and then, and then like 95 percent of them uh were over the limit so i i mean i think you've got a
1: problem there With us today is Mario Economo. He's a former banker in New York, London, Zurich, and he's with us almost every uh, uh, Sunday to give us a report what's going on in Europe, because what goes on in Europe eventually affects what happens in the United States. Uh, Good morning, uh, Mario. Uh, How are you this morning and what's going on?
9: Yes, good morning, uh, Mr. Katsumatidis and the Cats Round Roundtable. So today we're going to touch on a couple of uh, several things. We're going to touch on Germany. We're going to touch on France. We're going to touch on Turkey, of course, the situation in, with Ukraine and Russia. But we're going to start off with this very, very large U.S. foreign policy failure, in my opinion, and specifically that of allowing China to broker an agreement between Iran and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia this actually elevates china to a completely different and new level one that traditionally was held by the united states of america this will therefore have an impact on uh, with respect to europe in terms of how the europeans now begin to view china and it will actually make the europeans far less secure in deciding sanctions if the u.s decides sanctions against china if china were to support russia and its war effort against the ukraine because now the Europeans will realize that the Chinese are able to play a dominant role in foreign policy matters in addition to the fact that their economy is very large and the Europeans need access to it,
1: it seems like China is creating their own access of power uh, between uh, China being the head of it uh, with Russia, uh, even India, because uh, India is buying a lot of Russian oil, uh, Pakistan, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, and now who is the one that brokered the deal? where Saudi Arabia is putting $5 billion in the central bank of Turkey.
9: Yes, yeah, so that's also a very good point. We saw that story come out, and it's not so much the amount, the $5 billion itself in terms of as an amount is insignificant to the uh, Saudis also insignificant to the Turkish economy, but it's an important indicator that the Saudi uh, monarchy is clearly behind and supports President Erdogan in Turkey, but more importantly, does support Turkey. And by the way, we should start calling Turkey, Turkey, because that's uh, the name they're going to start being called. Uh, That's the name of the country now, Turkey. So um, this was a very important event. It was a rather uh, dramatic thing for the Saudi king, uh, this rapprochement that, now has occurred between the kingdom of saudi arabia and turkey and if you look on a map now we see that china has brokered an agreement between uh, iran saudi arabia saudi arabia has invested in turkey uh, qatar which was always a supporter of turkey is there as well and you see there is a very large chunk of the world with very powerful and rich countries Sitting right there in the middle uh, the China is essentially uh, the uh, person that they're going to look to for trade for guidance for foreign policy this is a very very big hit to the United States and to Europe by default and to the West in general so I think that people are going to have to sit down and reconsider uh, in Washington exactly what the approach is going to be moving forward because what the approach has been thus far has not been successful. Uh, you did touch on India, and India is going to be where the next G20 will be in September. And apparently, the Russians have cleared, the Kremlin has cleared President Putin's book so that he can actually attend. We now have another opportunity for the West to sit down with the Russians, with President Putin, and to try to have a dialogue and see if the war in the Ukraine can end. We know that the Russians also continue to pound all over the Ukraine. They, in fact, did use their Kinzhal hypersonic missiles. Many people said they're doing this because they're running out of uh, artillery and munitions. I suspect that's not the case. I suspect they use their Kinzhal hypersonic missiles because they wanted to see how they will work in a battlefield, uh, in a combat situation. And they worked the way the Russians were hoping they would work.
1: Here we got 30 seconds left.
9: France is having major protests specifically because President Macron wants to increase the retirement age from 62 to 64 over a six-year period. Uh, of course, the unions and the workers don't like that. The... Uh, country is essentially immobilized. uh, Trains, uh, uh, various uh, public services, everything is grinding to a halt. Refineries once again are not putting out refined uh, uh, oil into the uh, gas stations. And once again, we expect this to continue. Uh, President Macron will most likely not succeed in passing this. However, he's decided he's going to go ahead and push ahead with this legislation.
1: Mario Konomu, thank you for the update, and we look forward to further discussions. And uh, uh, have a great weekend.
9: Thank you. Enjoy your day.
1: Thanks for listening to the Catch Roundtable. Have a nice Sunday.